But for the past few weeks, I've been living in the world envisioned in John's gospel. You know John's gospel, the story of Nicodemus and the story of the woman at the well. And this morning, what I would like to do, what I propose, is to return from the world envisioned in John's gospel with something of a missionary report about my initial findings from there in John 4, the land of Samaria, the town of Sychar, and a well that is just outside of town. But before I give you the missionary report, I'd like for you to listen to the story itself. And as you listen, listen for the voices. Listen for the voice of the woman. Listen for the voice of Jesus, the disciples, of course, and the narrator. And here is how the story is told. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, going through Samaria and came to a Samaritan city called Sychar. It was near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well while the disciples went into the city to buy food. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman replied, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaritan? Now, Jews don't have things in common with the Samaritans. Jesus, if you knew who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given to you living water. (laughs) You have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The woman, oh, then give me this water so I might never be thirsty. Jesus, go call your husband. Bring him here. The woman, I have no husband. Jesus, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. The woman, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our, 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 our ancestors worshipped in this mountain, but you people say that we must worship in Jerusalem. Jesus, the hour is coming and now is when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman. Well, when the Messiah comes, he'll proclaim all things to us. Jesus, I am the Messiah. But just then, the disciples returned, astonished that he was speaking to a woman But no one said anything. And then the woman left her water jar, went back to the city, and said to the people, 
Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the, the Messiah? Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, take something to eat. Jesus, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, uh, Did somebody give him something to eat? Jesus, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, look around you. The fields are wide on to harvest. And many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He's told me everything I've done. I considered showing an old-fashioned missionary slideshow. Do you remember them? Or a modern-day PowerPoint of my trip to the world envisioned in this narrative. A series of slides, of PowerPoint slides, of first impressions upon entering this world. Pictures of the woman's neighborhood, the characters on her street, the people who live next door. The story of the Samaritan is just one house down from the house of Nicodemus. In John's world, the Samaritan woman lives next door to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is in chapter 3, and the Samaritan woman is in chapter 4. And when you look at these two neighbors, they have some things in common that should capture our attention. For example, in both stories, there's water. In both stories, there's discussion of the Spirit. In both stories, Jesus has a conversation with a single person out in the middle of nowhere. In chapter 3, Nicodemus. In chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Practically next-door neighbors. I just wanted to note for you the proximity. While I also say that they live in very different houses. Nicodemus is a Pharisee with a respected heritage. The Samaritan woman, how do you describe five marriages. Let's just say that she's had a, a difficult past. Nicodemus tells us that he has seen signs, that he knows that Jesus is from God. When the Samaritan woman meets Jesus, she's meeting a perfect stranger. Nicodemus takes the initiative to find Jesus under the cover of night. The Samaritan woman is approached by Jesus under the bright sun of high noon. Nicodemus is orthodox religion. The Samaritan woman, a despised heresy. Nicodemus has an impeccable academic pedigree. She is a Samaritan outcast. He is Nicodemus. That is his name. She is an unnamed Samaritan woman. In other words, the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus are moving in opposite directions in life, which makes the ending of their stories so surprising. In his story, Nicodemus is very visible at the outset. He comes asking questions. He comes making observations. He expresses opinions. He's looking for conversation. But by the story's end, Nicodemus has disappeared. He's vanished. He's faded into the shadows, blended into the wallpaper. Look for Nicodemus. Go ahead. Try to find him there at the end of chapter 3. You won't find him because he's not there. He left. He slipped away. 
But watch the Samaritan woman at the end of her story. She leaves her water pot. She walks into town. She strikes up a conversation with the townsfolk. She's very visible. She's very verbal. She's a witness for Jesus. Very different endings, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. And I report that only because, given the neighborhood, my expectations were very different. I didn't see that coming. Well, that's the first series of slides. The neighborhood, the contrast, the surprising endings. The second series of slides that I would like to show you, if I had remembered to bring my PowerPoint, would feature the well. The well by itself, click. The woman by the well, by the well, click. Jesus by the well, click. Jesus and the woman by the well, click. Once inside the world that John has envisioned for us, I discovered another surprise. I had brought my Jewish reading glasses, that's what, that's what these things are, to help me see the text from a Jewish point of view. But I didn't have to wear them very long. In fact, I discovered I didn't need my glasses at all. All I needed when I got into the story of the Samaritan woman was my memory my memory of Old Testament stories of people at the well. What got me started was to hear Jesus say to the woman at the well, give me a drink. It reminded me of the story of Isaac and Rebekah. You remember that one. Abraham sends his servant out to find a wife for his son Isaac. The servant soon finds himself at a well and he prays, the servant prays, Oh God of heaven, may it happen when I approach a maiden and request, give me a drink, that the person who replies, yes, my Lord, and may I give drink to your camels as well, may that be the person you've appointed to be Isaac's wife. And no sooner do those words fall off the lips of the servant, he finds himself standing before Rebecca. And he says to her, give me a drink. And Rebecca replies, yes, my Lord, and may, may I give drink to your camels as well. Isaac and Rebecca at the well. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Rachel? They met at the well. Jacob strolls up to the mouth of the well, rolls away the boulder, covering up the, the opening to the well, kisses his future wife, Rachel and Jacob at the well. He might have thought about that already because this is, after all, called Jacob's well. But now our minds are off and running. Remember how Moses and Zipporah met? Yes, at the well. It's like an Old Testament highlight reel starring Moses and the patriarchs. Woman at the well, man approaches asking for water. What do you expect? It's a marriage proposal. Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Moses and Zipporah. And now Jesus approaches the Samaritan woman asking for a drink. You think we're supposed to take this literally? Oh, Nicodemus would have. Born again, he says in chapter 3. You mean I'm supposed to enter into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Disciples would have taken it literally. Master, take some food. Jesus, I have food of which you do not know. Disciples, who brought him food? <laughs> a marriage proposal. Perhaps Paul is easier to hear when he says, the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is looking for a church. 
He comes looking for persons to believe and to follow him and to be his witnesses. And what's so astonishing is that this is precisely what the woman does. She says to the townsfolk, come see a man who told me everything I've done. She's a witness, an evangelist for Christ. The next slide, the next slide that I forgot to bring shows me trying to enter the world that is envisioned in John's gospel. I'm standing there ready to check two large, dated, light brown suitcases. I'm trying to carry my baggage into the world that John describes. But when security wands my baggage, they find a problem. When they look further, they discover that the problem is with my assumption over the phrase, married five times. I've assumed that this woman is an immoral woman. I mean, married five times. Married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced. And now she's shacking up with a guy who's not her husband. Immoral woman, a sinner. That's what I think. Of course, that's what we think going in. Lady neighbor tells you, I've been married five times, and the man that I'm living with now is not my husband. What do you think? You think, we're not getting near that house. There's trouble there, red flag. Or your friend at work confides in you. She says, my daughter's been married five times, and she's living with a man now who's not her husband. What do you say? You say, I'm so sorry. Sorry for who? Sorry for your friend who has such a daughter. That's what I've assumed before I walk through customs. I assume she probably cheated on the first husband. And then she remarried and traded up. Married to a guy making 40000 Now she's married to a guy making 80000 That's what I thought. Thought her first husband was lazy. And then she found herself a real go-getter. That's what I assumed. I argued with customs. Customs said, Jesus doesn't rebuke her. I said, well, I would have. Customs says, John doesn't pursue that thought. And I said, I would have. They let me in anyway. Tagged by bags, made me kind of mad, have to check my assumptions. But once I got inside this world that's envisioned in John, I could hear echoes and allusions of conversations from other stories, other stories in Scripture. Jesus talking about a a woman who was married to a man who dies, and so she marries the brother who dies, and she marries the next brother who dies, and so on. Seven brothers, seven husbands, seven funerals. That's the story circulated in this world. In this world, both the Samaritans and the Jews live with the social security system that when a woman is widowed, the nearest of kin has responsibility to marry her. That's the story of Ruth. That's the story of Naomi. That's the story of Tamar. And that may well be the story of this woman. Maybe this woman isn't immoral. Maybe she's just had one tragedy after another, and now she's forced to live with a man who doesn't have the common decency to even marry her. Now, what about the law? Oh, the law, it's working in favor of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he lives off the law. But the law isn't helping this woman. In this world, 
Jesus does not pursue and John does not explore the woman's background. The spotlight for the moment is on the woman who perceives that Jesus is a prophet. And twice she tells the town people, this man has told me everything I've ever done. Might he be the Messiah? Well, a missionary report like this has its limits. There's just some things that a preacher can't report, even with a slideshow. There's some things you have to experience for yourself, see for yourself, hear with your own ears and see with your own eyes. And though I hesitate to do this, to bring you into Samaria, because tensions are high, it'd be like traveling to Myanmar or Iraq today, not the place we'll send our youth group for their summer missions trip, but we fly into Samaria, the land of tensions, and by the time we get through security, we aren't standing off on some sandy burn a safe distance away, sheltered from the hot sun by a white canopy, peering through binoculars. No, no, we've flown into Samaria. We've driven out to Sychar, and now we're walking out to the well, and we see two people in conversation. It's Jesus, and it's the Samaritan woman. And the woman now is talking and she asks about the proper place to worship. And Jesus responds, the day is coming, an hour is coming, and it's now here. You worship in spirit, he says, and in truth. I want you to look at her face while she's talking. What do you see? You say, I think she's serious. You're absolutely right. She is serious, and you would be serious too. Not dodging questions, Jesus' personal comments, just the opposite. Jesus has revealed to her something that only a prophet could know. And if, as she says, he is a prophet, why she has the opportunity to ask the one question, the one question that burns hottest, that troubles her most, the one question that's closest to her heart that's on everybody's mind, everybody's talking about it. Jesus says the hour is coming and it is now here when our worship will not be bound by place and people, not in this mountain, not in this city, not in this country, not even in this building. We worship God in spirit and in truth, pneuma and aletheia. Listen to that second word, aletheia, truth has a certain tone, doesn't it? A resonance to it. Listen to that word truth as John uses it in his gospel. He says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 17. Well, put away your duct tape. Put away your rope. You can't take this language prisoner. Listen to the language's tone how it performs in John's gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14 and verse 6. You can't kidnap the truth. The truth will set you free. The truth isn't abstract. It's a real, live person. The truth isn't just intellectual. It's personal. The truth just isn't just mental. 
It's personified in Jesus. It's embodied in a human being, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. Aletheia in John's gospel is always connected to Jesus Christ, which is why Pilate's rhetorical question near the end of the gospel is so ironic. Pilate, standing before Jesus, asked, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate was looking at truth. Truth is clear. Truth is objective, of course, but I can say with perfect clarity that in this world, the world that John has envisioned, truth has everything to do with Jesus. It's personal. But now the disciples are returning to the well. In the foreground, the disciples, absent for the entire dialogue, now burst upon the scene. They smell of travel on, the clo- on their clothes, the odor of the market, the aroma of bread. The arriving disciples break the conversation. They end the discussion. They size up the woman, and they think about food. But the woman now is moving away. She leaves her water pot. She walks into the background. Look at her, though, as she's walking away. She's walking with such purpose. When she turns to walk, she's walking with confidence and determination in her stride. She's moving off into the background. And the disciples, unaware of everything that's taken place, move in and take over, forcing the conversation to start over again. Bread, is it literal, and so on. But now the woman, she's out of sight. She's back in Sychar. And she's telling the townsfolk that Jesus may well be the Messiah. You can't see her now. But she's convinced some. And others are coming out to see for themselves. They're moving in for the final chorus. This scene, this scene that John describes is so ironic. A Samaritan woman leaves her literal water pot to talk about the living water. At the very moment, the disciples begin to talk about literal bread. It's so ironic that this woman is off preaching while the men are busying themselves with potluck. That's so ironic. It's so ironic that she evangelizes while the disciples are being taught. She's doing evangelism while the disciples are being taught the fields are white unto harvest. But the biggest irony is that for 2,000 years, we've seen the woman not as Jesus sees her. We dismissed her. We dismissed her as a loose woman. We called her an airhead. We said she changes the topic when the conversation heats up. We said, look at that, she forgot her water pot. But the bigger, the biggest irony is that Jesus, before our very eyes, treats the Samaritan woman as a full human being. He takes her on as a serious conversation partner. He sees her as a successful evangelist, as a person capable of seeing the true identity of Jesus and acting more appropriately than anybody else in the neighborhood. So what drives her? What motivates this woman? Listen to her. She tells us. She says, he knows everything about me. Might he be the Messiah? It's exactly what happens earlier in John's story with Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? 
As the disciples are maneuvering, taking over the position, we, you and me, stand before Jesus, who knows us too. He knows our worst fears. He knows our anxieties. He knows our saddest moments and our greatest hopes. And he looks at us square in the eyes and he says, you're looking for a church, aren't you? A community that will help you live, provide meaning, people to love, love you and your children and your grandchildren, a church loyal to your past that can help you follow me today. Is that what you're thirsty for? And we say, yes, it is. We're thirsty for that. And Jesus says, for this church, your first choice is Nicodemus. <laughs> you want his influence? You think Pilate might be a catch with all of his inside power? You're hoping for someone with deep pockets to finance the programs you think you need? Is that what you want? Oh, we say he is a prophet. We drop our heads and we confess, yes, that's what we think about sometimes. That's how we've been dreaming sometimes. He's caught us. And he needn't say anything more. He, Jesus, has selected the least likely of all people for his church, a Samaritan, in the worst of circumstances, a woman with a torturous past, when there are so many other attractive options nearby, we might think. Jesus takes the initiative, though, with us as well. He encourages us, and he walks with us, and he points towards Sychar, to the first member of the church in Samaria, the bride of Christ, the Samaritan woman, Jesus' witness to the world, whom we can no longer see because she has effectively taken our eyes off of her and cast them back onto Jesus. I'm reminded now as... I close of the battles that are waging today, of the great divisions in our nation and in our world, the vicious hatred that we can see and hear throughout our country, which all have their roots in the same fears that divided the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' day. But Jesus crosses boundaries. He tears down walls. He sets aside old categories. And he looks for new possibilities. And he encourages us to learn from him. To make ways for peace. And to unite. And to stop acting like we've been programmed to act. Which is to fight and divide. The Samaritan woman... She would send townsfolk out to see Jesus for themselves, and they would spend two days with him, learning his ways, learning to follow him. And so as she was on that day, the Samaritan woman is today our preacher, who sends us to Jesus to stay with him for a few days, to learn his ways, to learn the ways of this one who taught us to engage people like the Samaritan woman, to care for the marginalized, to give to those who are least likely to return the favor. And that is when we meet Jesus at the well. That is when we become the bride of Christ, who is the savior of the world. That is when 
we are finally able to share Jesus with others.